Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, your host to the program Everything Co-op. And this morning, we have the absolute pleasure of talking to Sarah Kaplan. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Vernon and the listeners. And glad to have you on. You are an attorney, a lawyer. And on your webpage, it says you have figured out what your right livelihood is. What is that right livelihood? Okay, well, I learned recently that the term right livelihood comes from Buddhism, and I don't know anything about Buddhism. I've heard of right livelihood in the context of permaculture. So to me, right livelihood means putting my gifts to a good use to help society, being in right relationship with the people I serve, so I give and receive in a fair way, and... um my work, this is my goal, right? I don't, we're always aiming to become better and better and it's not perfect yet, but I'm hoping that my work is contributing to building that better world that our hearts know is possible. So it is a pleasure to be in your right livelihood rather than doing um, you know, work that you don't really care about, something that seems tedious. So to me, um, being in your right livelihood is part of true wealth. True wealth. True wealth. Yeah. And in that right livelihood, you talk about community economic empowerment, which is another financial wealth. Your true wealth is doing what you love doing, which is what I strive for also, why I love this radio program. So as a lawyer, what are you doing to create community economic empowerment? Well, I'm not really creating the community economic empowerment. The clients do. So I'm like a facilitator. I'm counting on other people. Being a lawyer is my quickest way to use my strengths, analytical reasoning and, you know, language skills, things like that, to put my skills to use. But I'm counting on others to be the entrepreneur. And there are people who are who have movements. We serve for-profit and not-for-profit. There are entrepreneurs who are, who are doing profitable businesses that at the same time, through their business activities, repair ecosystems or just do business in a more equitable way. And we also serve nonprofits, such as, you know, for example, groups of people in community who are seeking to do their own, what I call self-economic development Mm -hmm. um, or mutual, it's like mutual self-help, almost a mutual aid idea, but seeking to do their own economic development. And that could look like putting together a nonprofit loan fund to fund businesses and other enterprises that are not getting funded currently. Okay. So you are the facilitator for economic 
community economic empowerment, community economic development. I like you said you use your mm-hmm. analytical reasoning and language skills as an attorney. You try to use your skills to better the economy, better the community. Phenomenal. Too often, we don't think of lawyers as that, right? Livelihood is more like how do you get more money, which is similar to in my world, I have an MBA. That was what I went to the school to get to learn out of business too often. In the capitalistic model, people are just after the money and not concerned about right livelihood or how do you better the community. Did you get into law school first and figure out this is what you wanted to do, or did you go to law school to get the skills to do this kind of work? Great. Um, I went to law school first. I didn't know what I was going to do coming out of law school. I thought that I might um, work against, you know, work to help women working against violence kind of thing. I did a family law clinic and it was not for me. It was, I didn't like it at all. Some people love family law, not me. I also found out during that time that I was just not cut out to be a criminal lawyer because I couldn't, I wasn't interested in the violent, I need to stay away from violence. And I, so if you serve businesses, you're serving something that is positive and building and entrepreneurs are excited about what they're doing. So that's really fun. But a few generations back in my family are immigrants and immigrants work hard to make it better for the next generation. Mm -hmm. And they did such a good job of that, that I had all of the opportunities that I could have wanted and I can't possibly make it any better than it already was for me. So I was at the point of thinking, well, what should I really be doing with my life? And I can see that there is ecological destruction all around. I know it's a problem. And I actually went to school for ecology, but we don't need more studies telling us that there are problems. We know that there are problems. We know that what we need to do is restore ecosystems And the reason ecosystems are being destroyed in the first place is extractive business. So what we need is non-extractive business. So really maybe I should be an entrepreneur. The way that I see to put my, the skills that I have to use is to be a lawyer. I I know it's really odd, right? Like I did get the um, advice to avoid going to law school at all cost, but I did it anyway. And I, I thought it would be fun to go to law school and it was. Because of the reputation of lawyers, somebody advised you not to go to law school? No, because my friend who's a lawyer had a terrible time. She doesn't like being a lawyer. Hmm. A lot of people drop out or complete law school and decide to do something else. But to me, it's a fit. So I want to go to this immigrants. A couple of generations back, how far? Is that your grandparents or great-grandparents? No, that came my great-great Grandma, this is just one of my ancestors, but she is still in the living memory of someone who's alive now. My grandfather's little sister is 105 years old. Oh, fantastic. And she can remember her grandmother. Her grandmother was forced out of her home in Russia because she was a Jew. And she brought her three children and then her fourth child was born in the U.S. And that was my great-grandmother. So... I feel like that great great grandmother is just out of my reach because she's barely remembered. Well, when I trace back my ancestors, I don't have anybody that can remember back that far. So you're fortunate. 
you're extremely yeah. fortunate. So, so you're out of the Jewish-Russian background, so in your family you know how hard it can be when somebody is oppressing you or fighting you or putting you down as we have experienced in the black community here in the U.S. Yeah, your, that was... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, um, I could see my grandparents reacting to that kind of thing, and I didn't. I never felt oppressed myself, but I could see that that was their attitude. Yes, is that also why you think you have this view on what you can do with your skills and talents to help community, to help folk? Um, no, that's more just the privilege that you know came with my upbringing that I didn't. I didn't have to worry about meeting my immediate needs as much as a lot of people did. If I had a period of unemployment, I could still get through it. So I spent the time looking for my top priority was to spend, you know, I do need to work to make a living. Mm -hmm. So it was really important to me to find something that would make me happy that I would feel was really useful, not tedious not contributing to, I had a real tough time figuring out what to do with myself. And that was because most jobs seem like they are contributing to the harm that our capitalist society is causing. So I, it seemed worthwhile to me to work to find something that was contributing to a better world. And I had the privilege to do that because of the hard work of, you know, my recent recent ancestors and my parents in particular. Phenomenal, fantastic. I'll be 75 next month. I figured out what I wanted to be 15 years ago. When I grow up, I haven't grown up yet, but I figured out what I want to be and that's this radio show and promoting and developing co-ops. And so co-ops is one of the areas that you See, in creating this community economic empowerment, you're talking about co-ops. Why did you choose co-ops as one of the areas to go into? When I found out about co-ops, they seemed like a really good idea, and I was excited about the My first um, encounter with a cooperative that I recall that way, you know, when I found out what a co-op is, was the typical food co-op in college. And it just seemed so interesting and empowering to be with a group of students doing for ourselves and arranging how things would work as a group. And I just found the group decision-making to be really interesting and empowering. And so then fast forward to um, taking some time figuring out what I wanted to do and going to law school. And then eventually I just decided to start my own practice. And it seemed like serving cooperatives was not an area, a viable area of law to go into because, so I was in Chicago and there were just a few cooperatives at the time and they didn't have a lot of legal needs. So I went down another path for a while, but then I found Sustainable Economies Law Center and the Sustainable Economies Law Center puts it in context. It's not just cooperatives. There are a lot of things that go into building a a sustainable world, a regenerative world. So really there is an area of law that someone can practice in that involves building co-ops and other things, other legal tools that the regenerative economy needs. Nonprofits, worker, self-directed nonprofits, land trusts, all of these things go together. 
So why that? I mean, I don't feel that I'm being overly altruistic. I feel more like doing these things is in my self-interest because I get to be happy knowing that I'm, you know, doing something positive. It's like being in integrity. Yeah. So not being totally altruistic, not being totally self-absorbed, but you have found the key how you can help society, help individuals through entrepreneurs, using your skills and talents, and be happy at it and make a living with it. This is the key for me to have a good life here in my little home in the St. Louis area, but I'm actually really concerned that, so I think growing lots and lots of cooperatives is a good thing. I think it does make a difference. I am concerned that it's not enough. So we're going to take our first break and we're going to come back and talk more. It's so great to, to understand, Sarah, how you how you got to where you are and what makes you happy and the work that you're doing using your skills to help the community, which is what cooperation is all about. Co-ops are solving community problems. One gentleman told me nine years ago, if there's no community problems, there's no need for a co-op. So you're right in there doing it. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. And we have Sarah Kaplan on. She's a lawyer with Cutting Edge Counsel. So, Sarah, we've talked a lot about your life and how you got to be a lawyer and the fun you have at working with people that really have something positive to contribute to our uh, society. Why would somebody want to come to you and what do they get for your legal services? Sure. Great question. Someone comes to us if they have an idea, but they're not sure how to make it real. Can I do this? How does this work? And so we match up what they want to do with the legal structures that are available. And, you know, many of these legal structures are flexible, so we can write in what the rights of members are. So an example of that is people who are disenchanted with the with a, the charity system or the nonprofit industrial complex, as it's sometimes referred to, they think that there's something else out there called a social enterprise, not a corporation, not a charity, a social enterprise. And so, you know, there, there are cooperative legal entities, but sometimes I'm just telling them, well, here are the different legal entities. Are you, do you need to take charitable grants? Do you need 501c3 tax status? If not, you could be a corporation. So I'm just explaining to them how the available tools can work to make their idea happen. And that shows them a path to make their great idea something real. And the other thing that Cutting Edge Council does a lot of is help with capital raising because a lot of either startups or it's time for a growth phase, they need to bring in capital. And that is something that's highly regulated and needs a lawyer even more than in a startup. So raising capital, you're talking about raising money, getting money to grow the business, getting money to 
buy new equipment or enhance the processes or inventory or whatever you might need money for either startup or growth is what you do too that's what you your organization does we don't provide sometimes our name confuses people we don't invest or provide capital we give legal advice that gets the client ready to take in investment dollars so i also want to clarify anyone can go out and ask for donations when you have a really inspiring worthwhile project many of these even a, a for-profit worker-owned business can get donations and grants and that's great that's not a highly regulated activity if you are asking someone to invest with an expectation of return or for an investment purpose co-ops can have investor members co-ops can offer preferred shares and provide you know dividends that still leave most of the profit for the worker owners and the preferred shares are non-voting so when a business needs to raise capital where it's not just a donation then you need legal advice okay okay so i had a property management company in in D.C., which I started about 30 years ago, and it was a capitalistic model. I mean, that's why I went to get the MBA. I like the idea of rate making money. Uh, I didn't find about co-ops until I started managing housing co-ops and fell in love with this model, which they had taught it to me in the, in the MBA school, which they did not. But I just fascinating with with this model, and I try to start to change it into a co-op for the employees. It didn't work with we only six. And I did not need have a need to find out a way of raising money. But I did have a lawyer tell me once when I was having some trouble, it's better to have a lawyer on the front end than when you have trouble. You can avoid a lot of problems if you get the lawyer and get the advice on the front end. Do you concur with her? Yes, although there are many times when a brand new startup that has no startup capital, they just want to get going, they just form an LLC. That is generally okay. It's not so difficult to take an LLC and turn it into something else. So I don't, I don't want to scare people off from just getting started. Okay. And I'm not sure what kind of trouble you needed to back out of, but... <laughs> Um, you know, like that's one of the things that I do and that people in my field do is take existing business that we, we can take an existing business and add worker members. We can form a new co-op and sell the old business to the new co-op. So I think it's okay. I think we can make adjustments okay. no matter where you are. So I did the same thing. I started the business up. It was a C corp that changed into an S corp and but it was getting advice on all of the contracts that I ended up doing because I also went ahead and I did contracts. And so it would have been nice if I had gotten help and it had kept me out of some trouble I ended up getting into. And I agree that some legal advice is probably preferable. And you can get started up. You can get started up. And for a co-op, there's organizations around that help if it's just a plain vanilla co-op. Is that the... Yeah, or even... Is that so the you well so I'm thinking of worker co-ops. Go ahead. There's the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. Were you going to say something else? No, go ahead and talk. U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops for worker co-ops. 
Yeah, they provide they provide peer support. They provide some technical assistance. They have a network of peer advisors, so they match a co-op up with someone who can help them with organizational. So, okay, I have an hourly rate, and even if I discount my hourly rate, it's still going to add up. If I spend 20 hours explaining how, and this is actually not what I do. There are co-op developers who explain how to do democratic governance and there are choices that you need to make. Do we want to do majority voting? Do we want to reach consensus? If we want to reach consensus, what is a way of doing that in an efficient manner so that people enjoy meetings instead of feel frustrated at meetings? And there's a system called sociocracy that I'm learning over time. It's kind of taking us a while, but the Cooperative Professionals Guild is my um, professional association where I meet with my, we, we provide programming for lawyers and accountants who serve cooperatives. And so my professional association is learning to be self-governed in a sociocratic way. And it's challenging and you can't pay a lawyer for all of those hours that it would take to learn to work as a cooperative. So there are peer advisors through the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. There's an organization called Cooperation Works, exclamation point. And that is a group of co-op developers nationwide. So I hope that they can meet, match everyone up with a co-op developer in their region. And so there are also cooperative development centers in a lot of states have those and they can provide the technical support to and the training. There's a national association of housing co-ops if somebody wanted to start a, a housing co-op or limited equity housing co-op. There is a lot of support and what is called eco, the cooperative ecosystem includes training. It is technical support, the kinds of things that you were just talking about, legal, but that kind of legal work that needs to happen to start or to keep going. Then after funding, you you work with funding and legal, the training, technical advocacy, talking to politicians about local and national and federal. Uh, and I've added promotions because we don't do in the cooperative world, we don't do a lot of PR to promote the brand. And we have a really major competitor in the capitalistic model. The U.S. loves capitalistic model. That's what all this taught in schools. And um, in most schools, that's it. You don't get the cooperative model, and I'd love to see more of those. And so this whole idea of promoting. So that's the co-op ecosystem. You're working in the financial side and the legal side, having fun. So, you know, we're going to take a, another break. And when we come back, I'd really like to get some examples of the people that you have worked with and the different kinds of legal issues that, that they bring to you that you need to solve, either legal or raising money. And you talked about preferred shares uh, versus what other shares might one have in, in co-ops. You talked about sociocracy, and I'm studying that right now. We are starting a worker co-op, and we're doing a cookie-cutter team working with the Cincinnati Cooperative uh, group. Uh, we're going to start their training on September the 27th, a group of four, maybe seven of us to start that and to get a lot of help. When we want to raise money, and I don't know what for yet, but raise money, then we can come back to you guys. 
to do that. Can you give us a, the name of a, we only have a minute to go, of a cooperative you want to talk about when we come back? Let's start with Shared Capital Cooperative, which is a national funding institution. Okay. And Shared Capital, they, uh, they have been on the program before. Christina Jennings has been on the program before, so we do know her and love the work that they do. So we'll talk about shared capital. Anybody else you want to talk about? Let's also talk about Obron Cooperative. O-B-R-A-N. Obron. So we'll come back, everybody, and we'll talk about shared capital and Obron. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And Sarah Kaplan is our guest today. Sarah, before we took break, uh, well, first we talked about your life and how you got into legal work and you figuring out what you want to do with your life. And we just talked about the kinds of legal work that you do in the second section. Now we want to talk about the different, a couple of different uh, organizations that you've worked with. And you said you want to talk about shared capital first. So what kind of legal work did you do for legal or capital raising work did you do for them? Sure. And so it is public that Cutting Edge Council helped Shared Capital Cooperative to prepare their Regulation A offering. So Regulation A is a compliance strategy under securities law for doing a public ask for investment. And it's the type of public a lot of people will know about um, investment crowdfunding, regulation crowdfunding. That's what happens when you go on WeFunder or any other Reg CF platform. So regulation A is broader than that. More people can invest. It's broader. They don't need to use a platform. So and they can raise more money. So um, Shared Capital Cooperative is a lender that was started by cooperatives to fund cooperatives. And they're just always raising capital so that they can keep making more and more loans out to support cooperatives and the growth of more cooperatives. So yeah, doing a Regulation A offering involves um, preparing a lot of paperwork and filing it with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And that's what we did. And to us, it's a not only a big project, but an exciting project because it helps this you know, shared capital is great in itself and it supports the co-op ecosystem. And so having an offering open is a way for them to get even more support. It's so anyone, there are a couple of states that are ruled out, but most anyone in the United States could invest in shared capital now. And having this public offering raises awareness. It, it gets the bigger finance providers interested. So having a public offering helps them to raise more money from Population. institutions that yeah. the, the public in general, but even more so the bigger institutions that notice what they're doing because of the public offering. Okay. So shared capital, when Christina was on, talked about the loans that they make. And like you said, it's the co-ops, food co-ops, worker co-ops, any type of co-op, purchasing, marketing co-op, any type of co-op, if they need money, they can go to share capital to, to borrow the money. And what was also interesting is they had very small uh, defaults, even during 07, 08, very few defaults, which I find very, very interesting because of the co-op 
system because people want to, how you say this, people in a group, when they make a decision, they really want to do what they say they're going to do. That You talked about integrity early. Integrity. Yeah. Cooperatives tend to um, be more stable. And they, you know, at, at every conference we go to, they someone is reporting on a study finding that cooperatives are more stable. But the group has more stable outcome than if it were just a couple of founders. And I think that they must have some relationships with their borrowers. And in fact, borrower, the borrowers are the members mm -hmm. of Shared Capital Cooperative. Okay. I did remember that. I've forgotten that. So members of Shared Capital are co-ops. And when those co-ops need money, they go to Shared Capital, which is a co-op. So a co-op goes to Shared Capital, which is a co-op to borrow money. And so there's much more of a desire to pay back so that the co-op that borrowed the money is strong and shared capital is strong. Yeah, I think that must be at play. And also, I think that the co-ops, especially the newer ones, have an incentive to pay back so that they can then borrow more in the future because those early loans are a way that they prove themselves. And this is true, you know, the other thing that comes to mind, the other source that a lot of startup co-ops borrow from is the Seed Commons, which is a network of peers that can make loans. It used to be known as the Working World. I'm not sure. I think the Working World is now a member of the network called Seed Commons. But a new small co-op needs to pay back their Seed Commons loan or their small loan from shared capital in order to grow and borrow again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jessica Gordon Emhard was on the show and she wrote the book Collective Carriage talking about African Americans and their relationship to co-ops, their relationship to the civil rights movement and the cooperative movement. And she has it that, uh, if I got the numbers right, that 90% of co-ops after five years are still in business where for the capitalistic models only 10% of the capitalistic businesses are still in business after five years. Just a total different change and a couple of reasons were that a group of people coming together, you could say they're more stable. I have it, they, they build strengths up but also it takes longer to start usually because there's a training. The fifth principle is training information so that people get to know each other, they get to make decisions together, they share in their talents, and nobody wants to fail, and they work harder, and they also share in terms of downturn. Down, they, they share in the loss, they share in whatever, they share in the profits, they share in the loss. So co-ops are more successful with the research that she did, and others. You, you said that there's always a research study saying that co-ops are more stable, more successful live longer some fail but not as not as often as in the capitalistic model is that your finding also i don't think that most i wouldn't i think co-op startups do have a failure rate but i think that the vetting process the success that we're seeing of co-ops that get off the ground are still in business after five years i think they vetted their idea with the group early on and that's why once they decide to get started, it's because they have a good idea. So, you know, 
when startups come for legal advice and they come, that's who I see. Like, I have this great idea. I need a legal structure for it. Not all of our clients end up operating successfully after five years. I don't have a study saying, you know, comparing my pool of clients against startup, capitalistic startups in general. Maybe they still have a better success rate, but I don't see all of my clients being successful. No, no. It was a just a smaller, smaller failure rate of co-ops than capitalistic model. There are failures. And yeah. a, a big one was a food co-op in Greensboro, North Carolina, because it took them eight years to get started. And shared capital has some 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 loans in that business, and at three after three years they had they failed, they didn't get as many people coming in. And I had people on the show that talk about that. So yes, they do fail. And um, I was at a conference when it was announced, and there was a big ah throughout the room because they don't fail often, and food crops. But it is a food is a hard business, tough business to get into, and you've got to really know what you're doing. And, I was told you need you absolutely need great management in that. So I have heard of C Commons, um, Working World, Worker World, uh, Ed Whitville have been on the show, and matter of fact, he's the one that told me about the the um, food co-op in Greensboro. Yeah. Um, so there is help out there. We talked about a lot of help, and people come to you when they need. And shared capital was in existence. It was not a startup. They've been around a while. And so they were just trying to expand their capital base so they could provide more loans to their members, which are co-ops. Phenomenal. All right. I got to join shared capital. So whenever we need money, (laughs) we can can go look at anything that you learned by doing the work with shared capital. Yes. I learned a lot about regulation a, um, I had done some, aspects of it, the the state reporting um, I had done for a different Regulation A offering that our firm handled, but I did more Regulation A stuff with the shared capital matter. And I learned, you know, I learned from having the meetings with their point people. With their point people? So Christina and her colleague, Mark. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So did Working with shared capital and providing them the, the monies and using your legal knowledge, did that fulfill in your right livelihood? Well, yes, because I'm facilitating. So it's really shared capital and the investors who are deciding to put money into co-ops. And I think that putting money into co-ops helps them grow, helps them grow and does make the world a better place. So our work facilitated that. We're really just helping the entrepreneurs or the, you know, what do you call an entrepreneur of a nonprofit or a CDFI or all of these things work together, but um, we're just facilitating the good work of others. But it does feel good to say, submit. Yes, this is our final, you know, uh, this is the final, please submit this, this is a live submission. And I got to send that email, and that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everybody could see your face. You just blossom up, boy. You just blossom up. Yeah. All right. So helping others, in this case, Christina Jennings and Shared Capital, fulfill on their mission, and their mission is to provide funding for 
co their co-op members and then the co-op members the different organizations are doing work within their societies to solve community problems etc and also it's non-extractive meaning that they're not taken away from the from the world to, more often than not, they're putting back in the world where there's solar panels or housing or whatever they're doing. So that all comes back to you because you're able to use your skills, your talents, your language, your analytical ability to help get that work done. Phenomenal. Hope so. <laughs> Phenomenal. Okay. So we talked about the co-op ecosystem. Shared capital provides money. And there's four types of co-ops. Really, there's five. But I normally talk about the worker co-op. You mentioned the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops and Esteban Kelly. Have, they've been on the show before. Then the worker co-op is uh, where the employees own and, and control the business. And then there's a consumer co-op. We talked about food co-ops and housing co-ops where the people that uses the products and services own and control the business. And then there's the other two I talk about a lot is purchasing co-ops where farmers come together, other businesses come together, form a business where, that buys what they need to produce whatever they're needing. And then there's the marketing co-ops. The marketing co-ops are also called producer co-ops. Marketing co-ops are farmers and others come together to market whatever they produce. And artists are beginning to use this too, and we've interviewed a couple of those. They come together, form a company that markets their products, and when they add value to them, like Cabot Creamery or Ocean Spray, then they're called also called producer. They're producing more. So those are different co-ops. In those sectors we've talked about so far, we talked about worker co-ops, um, and I don't know where shared capital is. All of their co-op members are some of those different entities. Shared capital is more one that is providing in the co-op system, they're providing the funding for co-ops, mm -hmm. uh, technical, and you're providing the technical legal support. Neat. Yeah, I, if you wanted to try to categorize shared capital, I would say it's a, a consumer co-op because businesses are the consumers of loans. Hmm, that's interesting. We'll be right We're, back and we'll talk more about, we'll come back and talk about O'Brien and, and get more into seeing how you light up when you talk about your right livelihood. We'll be right back. Information is power. We're back, everybody. This is Everything Co-op, and I am Vernon Oaks, your host, and Sarah uh, Kaplan is our guest today. And Sarah, we've been on the show now. This is this October will be nine years, and NCB has been our supporter both financially and our main cheerleader. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So, Sarah, in your work, have you had an opportunity to work with NCB? Not, no, I haven't, but the Cooperative Professionals Guild, my professional association of lawyers and accountants who serve cooperatives, um, is actually just changing from a fiscally sponsored project to our own organization. I filed the Articles of Incorporation not too long ago. I'm waiting for them to come back from the state of Delaware. Um, and once they come back, I'm looking forward to opening our bank account with NCB. Oh, fantastic. They, they would like that, too. 
when I was doing the property management, uh, several of the properties had loans with NCB, and they're just phenomenal to work with. They they really do their mission, providing financial services in low-income communities, which is, isn't always easy to do for a banking institution and stay in business. So we were going to talk. We talked about shared capital. You were going to talk. Tell us about O'Brien, O-B-R-A-N Cooperative. What what is that, and how did you work with them? Well, okay, I met the one of the co-founders of O'Brien Cooperative at the conference in St. Louis in 2018. I live in the St. Louis area, and the um, New Economy Coalition conference was in St. Louis in 2018. And so this co-founder, Joseph Curitan, and his colleagues had this fantastic idea to grow employee ownership really quickly by acquiring businesses. And the idea is that the holding company, there's a parent or a holding company that is a cooperative and it raises money and buys companies. This, it's, it's a really interesting combination of kind of a capitalist attitude of getting the capital in, doing deals, and the blood, sweat, and tears of workers is really present and really important to the model and to the mission. So it takes a long time. So co-op conversions are a wonderful thing. I'm really interested in co-op conversions, and I really want to support the work of Project Equity and other uh, service providers. Um, people like Project Equity teach companies, or they, they go to a, they find a viable company that can be sold to its workers and they train the workers on how to be a cooperative. And that takes a long time. Obron is doing something different where they just buy the company, not necessarily telling the employees first. So the employee's daily life doesn't necessarily change, except that suddenly they're owned by, instead of the investor owners or the founder, they're owned by a cooperative that if the employees choose to join as a member of the cooperative, their prof the profits from that company will eventually, you know, subject to the cost of the financing of the deals. But assuming that there's profit, it will go to the workers on the basis of patronage instead of to investors. So in case I said that in a way that was too long, all they do is a purchase transaction and then the employees become owners, okay. even though their daily life doesn't change. So in listening to you of how long it takes in the conversion, that length of time is a lot of times just the training and getting people to understand, like you were talking about learning sociocracy or what form of government are they going to use and how they solve complaints when they happen or disagreements when they happen because they will happen. It takes a while to get all of that down. And so O'Brien comes in and they do it differently. They buy the business and then they take time for the members to get the training. Actually, they don't even have a goal. And let me back up and say that Obron is my client for the purpose of formation. I help them with their formation. My dear friend Clark Arrington works with them now. I believe he is their general counsel. Um, so I'm not making any excess claims here, but, um, but I love their model. I love to support them as much as I can. And they're not, they don't have a goal of making every business into a cooperative. 
the parent company is the cooperative. It can just have general, the whatever hierarchical management was there can stay there. So the way that it is still kind of an economic democracy is that all of the workers have an opportunity to join the parent, the ultimate owner. And so the company that owns all of these subsidiaries is democratically owned by all of the workers. Wow. Okay. That is different. And I, I do know Clark Arrington. Clark was on the show. He would, got inducted into the Co-op Hall of Fame last year. And this year, the Co-op Hall of Fame is going to be on October the 6th at the National Press Club in D.C. Clark is a great guy. He's been around a long time as a lawyer, and I guess he found his right uh, livelihood 30, 40 years ago in this whole world um, with getting equal exchange their first, um, what did you call it, stock, so that they could go out preferred. and raise Preferred stock, so they could go out and raise money 30, 40 years ago, some time ago. Okay. So when you explain this training thing, though, I was thinking about Rock USA. Rock USA have mobile home parks become co-ops, and more often than not, they only have three months to do the conversion. Where in D.C., a multifamily house would have a year, a multifamily apartment building would have a year or two to get the training in to transfer to a limited equity housing co-ops, and that timing makes a tremendous difference in how successful it is and and uh, how much the in this case the residents or tenants get involved in in the co-op but I even like this model even better because they don't, they don't have to be co-ops so if do you know of any of the businesses that they bought were you involved in that part sort of but no there's no there's no example that I can give okay because I was they thinking bought. if they decided to buy I don't know, a manufacturing plant, manufacturing wizards, and there's 100,000 employees, that company would not necessarily become a co-op. It would just stay the way they are. And now the parent company, O'Brien, would own this widget company, manufacturing company, and those 1,000 employees can become a member owner of O'Brien? Yes, that's right. And it's this parent holding company so that the parent holding company isn't subject to the rules that ESOPs are. If people in co-op world often think of ESOP employee stock ownership plan as another way of doing like a large scale employee ownership deal, but ESOPs are for retirement. And so they are subject to ERISA, which has to do with employee retirement. So there are more rules. The trustee is bound to um, make decisions that are not actually always in line with long-term worker ownership. Mm -hmm. So Obron is getting to be kind of well-known. I've been hearing people say, I got referred to Obron. When I said I wanted to sell my business, I got referred to Obron. And I think everyone should refer people to Obron because Obron will buy businesses that you know, depending on the terms of the deal, but that's their goal is to buy businesses. Mm -hmm. So if you have a selling owner that's looking for a buyer that that cares about employee ownership, Obron is one of the, the possibilities. So how would somebody reach you if they needed your, your uh, help? 
Okay, well, Sarah with an H, S A R A H, at cuttingedgecouncil.com is the best way, or 312 883 3980. It's okay to cold call. So, could you just give that number again? The telephone number? 312. Yeah, sure. Okay. I can be reached at 312 883 3980. Okay. So if you need Sarah's help, you can call Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at CuttingEdgeCouncil.com. Or you can reach her at 312-883-3980. Fantastic. So do you love your work? I do. I Well, right. So... <laughs> Um, the other thing about having started one's own practice and Cutting Edge Council is actually a really flexible firm. We're so flexible that we get to learn. We get to, we don't have to bill every second. We get to learn. We get to um, do complete work that's fulfilling and bill the client for an appropriate amount of that. And it's interesting stuff. So, yeah. You love what you do. Yeah, when I do work for a client, they are getting my whole self, and I really like that I get to do that. Thank you. Our time is up, so I just really, really want to thank you for taking the time to come out and share with us what you do, and I hope everybody out there will figure out what you want to do in life where you can have fun, you can brighten up the way Sarah did today when she talked about her work. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Please live cooperatively. 1450 WOL, where information is power.